today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. What is the first words of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, they're words of adoption. You and I have been adopted into the family of God. And Jesus said, Father, as you treat me, I want you to treat those who come into your family through me. We are family. And therefore, we do right, not because of what we're going to get. We do right because we're family. We're in the house of God. We pray our Father. Everything is transformed when we pray our Father. Our prayers are powerful. The truth is you have a loving father waiting to hear from you. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, The God Who Is Dead, and shares how you can pray with confidence and expectation to your heavenly father. Stay with us. That encouraging message is coming up on The Winning Walk. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, God is Dead. Hope you have your Bibles open to the gospel according to Matthew chapter number 6, Matthew 6. I'll read verse 6 through verse 9. Jesus is speaking, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to the Father who is in secret, and you, Father, who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they'll be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How do you pray? To whom do you pray? Do you pray to the Father? Do you pray to God? Do you pray to the Holy Spirit? Do you pray to Jesus? To whom do you pray? You may ask the question, is it appropriate to pray to the Holy Spirit? Is it biblically correct to pray to Jesus? Is it okay if I just pray to God the Father or the Lord Jesus? To whom do you pray? To whom do I pray? A lot of us are confused at this point and really don't have a clear answer to that, but we can get it from the Scripture. Jesus, in John chapter 5, spends almost the whole chapter saying one thing. I and the Father, Jesus says, we're one. Jesus and the Father are one. Therefore, we can pray to the Father or we can pray to Jesus. In John 14, Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to send you a comforter. And that comforter is the Holy Spirit. And we can pray to the Holy Spirit. And as we begin to pray, sometimes it seems appropriate to pray to the Father for wisdom, for encouragement, for guidance, for leadership. Sometimes it seems we pray to Jesus. We're thinking about forgiveness and salvation, and he is our intercessor between us and God. And sometimes we pray to the Holy Spirit to lead us, to fill us, to guide us. 
So it's appropriate to pray to any one of these in the Trinity. Now, let me tell you, you do not pray unless you pray in or through Jesus. We are a lot of prayers, and they just say amen. That's okay. The only problem is the prayer didn't even get off the ground. The only basis upon which you and I can pray to God the Father is through Jesus Christ the Son. We can't just barge in there. We're not chummy, chummy, buddy, buddy with God, except we pray through Jesus Christ. That opens up heaven for us. No other way does it open heaven. No other way do you get into heaven. And we pray according to relationships. You meet a stranger on the street. What can you ask that stranger? You might can ask them where you are. Where am I? <laughs> How do you get to? They understand that. They've all been lost. Or you might ask the stranger, what time is it? My watch is not working. Very few pastors' watches work, if you noticed. <laughs> and you might ask that, but you can't, you can go just so far, see, with asking a stranger something. You can't say, hey, let's go have lunch together. You've never seen them before on the street. See, that, that's too far. So we go too far with God unless we pray through Jesus Christ. And unless we know Jesus Christ, we cannot pray through Jesus Christ. And God hears our prayers. We have no basis upon which for them to be answered unless we pray in Jesus' name. So how do we pray? This is how we pray. To help this be straight, I want you to look on your screens. There's a little graph there. I got this from an old Presbyterian book. Don't tell anybody it came from the Presbyterian. Shh, that's a secret. But I think it helps us understand there is God. See, God the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. God is the Father. God is the Son. But look at the circumference. The Father is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. See the difference? There's three, but there's one. To help us understand it, maybe you could think about H2O. That's about all the chemistry I remember. H, two parts, hydrogen, O, one part, oxygen. H2O, you can find it in three different forms. You can find it as a gas, or you could find it as steam, I guess would be more appropriate. You could find it in, in ice. You can find it in liquid form. So you have steam and ice and liquid, and you analyze each and every one of them. What are you going to find in all three? H2O. And there is a state, someone told me last night, in which all of the elements of H2O, the solid and the gas and the liquid, can be together at one time at a certain state. So this is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And this helps us to know to whom we pray. We can pray to all three and through all three to the Father, to God. Now, we go to our scripture and we begin a study of the Lord's Prayer. You say, well, I know the Lord's Prayer. But I can tell you, as I have looked at the Lord's Prayer again, I see depth there that I had never seen before. And by the way, if we handed out a survey today and asked this worshiping evangelical congregation, what would you like to know? What would you like to know? What would you like to learn the overwhelming answer would be, every time this poll has been taken, I want to really know how to pray. I want to know how to pray. That's the overwhelming answer to every survey that's been taken. So here we're talking about 
prayer. You say, how did this verse come to be? How did this scene take place? Where did the Lord's prayer come from? Remember the disciples observed Jesus as he walked with him those days and weeks and years, and they saw something in him they'd never seen in anybody else. And they tried to figure it out, as you and I would if we had been one of those disciples. And they couldn't figure it out except they said, you know, every time he goes off and prays, every time he he seeks the Father. Every time he withdraws to the mountain, every time he goes to that little cove, every time he goes in hiding, he comes back and, whew, man, there's power there. And they saw this power in his words, in his miracles, and they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. And he gave them the Lord's Prayer, which is a form and a model for us to follow in prayer. What do you mean by that? It is a form. The Lord's Prayer begins with, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It, 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 it begins with the Lord. It begins in a triumphant. It begins with a transcendent understanding. In other words, God is saying, before you pray, don't just babble out something, make sure you understand you're in his presence. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The awesomeness of Almighty. That's where we begin to pray. That's the form. That's the form. And then the middle of the prayer are the petitions. The person of God we honor, then the petition. Give me daily bread. Forgive me. Lead me. Petitions come in. Very practical praying. That's where you and I live, practical praying. And then the end of the prayer is praise. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. There's praise. So there's a recognition of the personhood of God. That's where we begin. The petitions are requests that we have, practical daily requests that we should never take for granted. Then finally, we end our prayer with praise. That's the pattern. That's the outline of prayer that Jesus gave to us as he gave to the early disciples. Now, as we begin our study, we'll be here for many, many weeks. Let's begin by praying together the Lord's Prayer. And as we pray, we'll use trespasses instead of debts, okay? Either one is right. We're all debtors and we all trespass, but let's use trespasses for the sake of unity and togetherness because you have two, two accounts of the Lord's Prayer. You have it in Luke 11 and you have it here in Matthew 6. But let's now pray together, if you would, the Lord's Prayer. Pray it resoundingly, if you would. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Dear Jesus Christ, speak in this service. Teach us, we pray. Let me get out of the way. Always in the name of your son, we offer this petition. In Jesus' name, amen. Is anyone out there? Is anyone up there? 
is when we make a cry, is there any answer? Is there someone like us out there, but yet unlike us out there? That kind of question has been asked through the ages, through the ages. G. Studdard Kennedy, one of the great men of the last generation, who fought in the First World War. If you know your history in the First World War, for many, many months they had the, the trench of the Allies and the trench of the enemy, and they fought trench warfare. One group would charge the other, one group would charge the other. They would come out of their trenches, they would go back in their trenches. This went on for month after month after month. And Kennedy said as a soldier, I was trapped one day between the trenches in the middle of the night. He said, I was lying still. He said, as the darkness came in, I saw a, a presence. And he said, I wanted to say, who goes there? But he said, I didn't know whether my words would be answered by a bullet. He was in no man's land. Or friendly response or silence. And he said, therefore, I just continued to lie there still and did not move. Kennedy says, many years later, I was in a moor, walking at night. All I could hear was the boom of the waves and the whistle of the wind. And he said, as I was walking by that moor, suddenly I felt a presence. He said it was frightening. It was overwhelming. He said, I didn't know what to do. I felt just like that between the lines during the war. And he said, I, I wanted to shout out, but I didn't know whether the answer would be silence or the presence would speak. And he said, but on that night in the moor, I made my cry and I asked, who goes there? He said, I got my answer. I've never forgotten it. It changed my life. He said, had I not got that answer, my soul would have been dead. And he said, I realized then I was in the presence of God. God. Who goes there? Jesus would answer and say, our Father. Our dad, our Abba, that's who goes there. That's who's up there, out there, in here with us, our Father. Now, a lot of people think that when Jesus said Abba, dad, that affectionate word, that was the first time that anybody had ever called God Father. That's simply not true. The Greeks had a name, and they would call God Father in the sense he was the the father of all. In the Old Testament, you have the name father referred to by God seven different times. But it's like God is our father. God is the, uh, the head. God is the progenitor. God is our father. It's used like that. But when Jesus here in our passage says, our Abba, our father, our dad, oh, that's different. Therefore, in the New Testament, you have the word father used 275 times. Our Father, who goes there? It is that cry 
that has been offered out in time and history by gurus and philosophers and seekers and religious leaders. They have issued that cry and they've got a multiplicity of answers. Who goes there? Who is out there? So many, many answers we have heard and we have received. And there we have all the religions, all the creeds, all the cults, all the philosophies that we know anything about. It's an answer basically to that question. Is there anybody out there? Is there anybody alive in this universe? Are we orphans in this world or is there somebody at home here with us, the other? Who goes there? Who goes there? Let me say something to you. If you can pray our Father, all the isms are invalid. Now, understand that. There are a whole lot of isms running around, a whole lot of beliefs, a whole lot of doctrines, whole do a lot of ideologies. But if you can pray our Father, really pray our Father, all the isms are yesterday. They're invalid. They're not true. For example, atheism. Now, I know there are different levels of these. I'm going to give you the pedestrian level. Atheism. Is there are people who are atheists. David Hume is the leading philosopher of atheism. And atheism believed there is no God. They made their cry, is anybody out there? And the answer was silence. Therefore, the atheists say, there is no God. Richter, the philosopher, said, I had a dreadful dream, and I soared out into the universe, and I went to all the planets. I went out in the cosmos. I went out in the bottom of the black hole, and I came back, and I went over the earth and all the created order, and he said, I did not find God. No God. Atheism. It's like the Russian cosmonaut who went into outer space the first time he came back. He said, I didn't see God. <laughs> I didn't see God. There's no God. Atheism. But if you can pray our Father, our Abba, atheism is invalid. If you can pray our Father, agnosticism is invalid. What is that? It means I don't know. Is there a God? I just don't know. I don't have enough information. It is the know-nothing belief. And the father of agnosticism, the philosopher is a man by the name Immanuel Kant. Isn't that interesting? Immanuel means God with us. He is the father of agnosticism. He's saying you can't know whether he's with us or not. <laughs> interesting. Agnosticism. But if you can pray our father, agnosticism invalid. And then there's pantheism, the idea that God is in everything. God is and God is in everything. In pantheism, you can't distinguish between the creator and the creation because they're one. This is basically Hinduism and Buddhism, that God is impersonal. God is an it, I-T. God is an it, not personal. Therefore, you have pantheism. But if you can pray our Father, pantheism goes away. And, and if you can pray, our Father, also polytheism, the idea there are many gods. In ancient Rome, there are over 30,000 gods and goddesses for everything. Can you imagine it? Sure you can. There are more than that in the world today. Pantheism, many, many, many gods. But if you have narrowed it down to one will, to one Father, to an Abba, there's no 
polytheism. There's no pantheism. There's no deism. There's no atheism. There's no agnosticism. And then we come to deism. Let's look at that. What do deists believe? Deists believe that God wound up this world, created it, wound it up like a big clock, and threw it out into space, and then deserted it and said, there you are. You're on your own. I'm out of here. That's deism. Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. You say, well, how did these intelligent men fall prey to that? Remember, they lived during the day when the laws of thermodynamics were being discovered. They, they lived in the day when some understanding of gravity was brought into the scientific world, and they began to see the symmetry and the unity and the power and the consistency of all the created order and all the galaxies that they could define. They began to see that this may be God, the created order, and therefore they were deist, deist. Years ago in Copenhagen, Denmark, in the town square, they brought out an astronomical clock. It took 40 years to construct this clock. It cost over a million dollars. The man who designed it and constructed most of it died 10 years before it was completed. It's a phenomenal clock. It has 10 faces. It calculates the sun, the moon, the stars. It calculates time. It, it, it is an amazing, amazing instrument, this astronomical clock. In fact, it is accurate, but up to two-fifths of a second every 300 years. You know, how can you count on that? Two-fifths of a second every 300 years. But that's how accurate it is, how precise it is. This clock is constructed that some parts of the clock will not move until 25,000 years in the future. Try that one. It's constructed. Some parts will never move until 25,000 years in the future. Now, what got me interested was, how did they know it's an accurate two-fifths of a second every 300 years? That's what got me. How do they know that? You know how they know it? Because they look at the master clock, which is the universe that God created, and it is precise forever and forever. You can count on it. That's how they knew that. But see if we can pray our Father. Deism is invalid. Then what about scientism? That's a big one. Scientism says, I don't believe anything until it can be proved by the scientific method. Now, the problem with that, there are many scientific methods. The basic one is truth revealed by experiment. But there's forensic, forensic evidence, et cetera, et cetera. But, but having said that, that's what the scientists believe. But scientists today in the modern world, because I think of quantum physics, uh, they, they don't think of the world as a great big uh, mechanical something that's been thrown out in space. Scientists are not deists. Instead, most of them who haven't become theists, and many hundreds of them have, most of them, they would say that the creation is a giant thought, and they move in the spiritual realm. It's like Arthur Eddington, the scientist, said. He said, 
We have seen strange footprints on the shore of the unknown. Did you get that? He says, we have seen, scientists, strange footprints on the shores of the unknown. Jesus would come along and say, those footprints are of our Father. <laughs> he would say the footprints are everywhere. He, he never sought to prove God. He said God is self-evident. He saw that every blade of grass that begins to force its way up through the sod, that's God. And he saw that the Heavenly Father observed every sparrow that would fall, that's God. He just keeps on working. He keeps on working. So we know that when you and I can pray our Father, atheism, agnosticism, deism, pantheism, polytheism, scientism, deism, psh, invalid, invalid, when we can pray our Abba, our Father, our Father. Also, we can pray our Father. Everything is transformed. Some people have trouble praying our Father. I understand that. Uh, all of our fathers were not up to par, were they? They, they? they weren't adequate for you and for me. They, they left holes in your life and in my life. Some of us have never known a father. Others have had a father who was totally off base and, and non-performing. Uh, there, there's a book written by Paul Vince. This book is called Faith of the Fatherless, subtitled The Philosophy of Atheism. And this scholar traces all the brilliant individuals, skeptics, and scholars who have permeated our thought for years after years. He searches their lives. I'm talking about Nietzsche and, and Sark. Uh, I'm talking about Camus. I'm talking about uh, Marx. I'm talking about Freud. I'm talking about um, Stalin. I'm talking about Mao. All of these philosophers through the ages, he studies their life and this scholar came to the conclusion, he said, in almost every case you can name, these skeptics and these atheists and these agnostics, they had a father hunger. And he said, as you study their lives as he did individually, he says, without exception, their fathers were abusive, passive, not there, or there and not speaking and not performing or they were dead. They have taken Nietzsche, for example, and studied his works and said, you can see in everything that he has written down, he is a God is dead guy, by the way. Everything he's written down, there's a hunger for a father. So some of us who have inadequate fathers, we'd say, you know, to call God dad, that's not a high thing. But when God becomes our father through Christ, then all the holes and gaps in your life and in my life are filled up with our heavenly Father, our heavenly Father. You see, if we can pray our Father, that changes, that transforms everything about you and everything about me. You know, in the creeds, if you came in a liturgical church, you would quote it week by week, Sunday by Sunday. I believe in God the Father Almighty, right? That sounds familiar. I believe in God the Father Almighty. And the problem with that profession is the word almighty. 
I believe in God the Father. Okay, I believe in God the Abba. That's good. But the word almighty, you know, if God is almighty, why does he straighten this thing out we call the world, beginning with you and me? If he's almighty, we get farther, but his almightiness is what we challenge. Uh, it's like the little boy was praying. He said, God, ain't Susie's not married yet. Uncle Herbert doesn't have a job. And my daddy is still angry all the time. I'm getting tired of praying to you. And when you do nothing, you know, we've all prayed a prayer or something like that, folks. Sure we have. God, get with it. Where are you? How can you let injustice take place? How, how did you let my baby die? How, how did you see this tragedy? How, how is this? Sick? I mean, we, could, we can talk about our Heavenly Father and say, you know, get, get on with it if you are almighty. But you see, the secret of understanding that Father is almighty is the very title Father. In other words, by virtue that God is like a father, a dad, that limits something of what he can do. For example, if you're a father, you'd like to say to your son or daughter, hey, get with it. I know you're just one years old, but let me tell you something. You got to grow up. You got to get my mind in you and grow on up. Hurry up. Hey, get on with it. Fathers, we don't conduct ourselves like that. We are hopefully, prayerfully patient. Great fathers are fathers who wait, who love, who forgive, who challenge, who discipline, who pick up, who forgive, who push, much like our Abba Heavenly Father. So the key to understanding the infinite power of God, you do not find it in the CEO who said, well, if I were God, I'd show everybody who's boss around here. Oh, no. Not Abba. It's with infinite patience that he sees things get all mixed up in the world, but he knows his sovereign hand is there. It's comforting to you and I who can pray our Father that everything that comes to pass in your life and in my life and in this world comes through the hand of God, through the mind of God, through the wisdom of God to make sure that all things are working out for good for those who love him. It goes through his hand. We don't see it now. It's impossible to see, but he sees all the way, all the way. So we pray, our Father, everything is changed. Everything is transformed. And when we pray, our Father, guess what? Our prayers have power. We can pray with confidence when we pray, our Father, because we know the nature and character of our Heavenly Father. And if you've been studying the names of God with us, we know more and more about the nature and character of our Heavenly Father, who loves us with a love that just will not let us go. When we're up, when we're down, when we're good, when we're bad, his love doesn't vary. He doesn't love us more or less. He just loves us with a love that will not let us go. Therefore, we pray with confidence. Remember the first scripture that I read? That was a long time ago. 
What did that teach us about prayer? It teaches us two kinds of praying. You've got the praying of the pagans, the Gentiles, and they pray so they can be heard. They go in public places, and, and they mumble their prayers over and over, or they go before God, and they go through all their rituals, and they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and they think by their much praying, you know, they've got an entree with God. They've earned a place with God. And then there's Christian praying, which is entirely different, has a different basis upon which you pray. For example, uh, do you pray to God as if uh, you're a renter, you're, you're renting, and, and he's the landlord? Is that how you pray to God? That's what this is teaching us. Now, what are you talking about? Do you pray to God as if it's some kind of business relationship? If you are renting with your landlord, you have a business relationship. You'll pay your landlord this much rent for you to stay in this place for a prescribed period of time. And his responsibility is he kind of keeps the place up and maintains some basic stuff, right? That, that's a renter paying to a landlord. And that's a business relationship, is it not? Some of us pray to God like that. God, I want you to, or I want you not to, or I want you to. And when God, we feel, doesn't show up, oh, I've been good. I go to church. I pray. I read my Bible. Wait a minute, God. That means that you're treating God as if he's your landlord. I've done my part, God. Now you do your part. We're treating God as if it's a business deal. A lot of us pray like that. And therefore, when our prayers don't come out the way we want them to come out, oh, man, my mother died anyway, and I prayed. My goodness, God, what in the world? You're praying to God as if it were a business relationship. That's pagan praying, Jesus says. What is Christian praying? Christian praying is you pray to God in a family relationship. If, if you are in a home and you're not paying rent, you're family, you're a son or a daughter. The relationship is entirely different, isn't it? Entirely different. And we are to pray as Christians, we're family. What is the first words of the Lord prayer? Our Father, they're words of adoption. You and I have been adopted into the family of God. And Jesus said, Father, as you treat me, I want you to treat those who've come into your family through me. We are family. And therefore, we do right, not because of what we're going to get. We do right because we're family. We're in the house of God. We, we, we have the keys to the house. We, we have a right there. When someone is adopted, they don't suddenly become, oh, okay, perfect, just like everybody in the family. Oh, no, when they're adopted, their, their legal status has changed. See, now they're legally a member of the family, and we pray like a family, and their woman, God, hears our prayers and answers our prayers and works in our life. We say, Lord, we thank you for this miracle. We thank you for your grace. And we go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, behold, I'm amazed at how much you love me. That's family praying. Behold, I'm amazed that you worked this out in my life. Behold, I'm amazed with the patience you show for me. See? Therefore, when we pray, our Father, our Father, all the isms are invalid. We pray our Father, everything is transformed 
when we pray our Father, our prayers are powerful, powerful. You see, Jesus lived the life that you and I did not live and died the death that you and I deserve to die so you and I will be able to pray our Father, our Abba, and be a member of the family. Let me say that one more time because to be a Christian, you have to in some level understand that. Jesus lived the life that you and I did not live, and he died the death that you and I deserve to die so that you and I will be in family and able to pray our Father, our Abba. He didn't teach us to pray our king, though he could have. It works. He didn't teach us to pray our creator. No, but he could have. He didn't teach us to pray our friend, though that would be accurate. He taught us to pray our Abba. Intimate, our father. Intimate, our Dad, family, family, family. It's a worship service. They invited a well-known actor to come and, and recite for the congregation the Lord's Prayer. That was sort of his specialty. He traveled, and once in a while, he would go to places and recite the Lord's Prayer. He's a brilliant actor, Broadway, film, just had all bases covered, wonderful reputation. He'd been in all kind of movies, all kind of plays, and they asked him to come to church, and in the middle of their worship service, they introduced him, gave all of his credits. Everybody applauded. They were so thrilled to see this famous, well-known actor there, and he was going to recite the Lord's Prayer, and he stood up with great dignity and deep resonance voice from the diaphragm, and he quoted, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it was magnificent. It really was. I mean, hallowed had 15 syllables when he pronounced it. <laughs> I mean, hallowed. I mean, and the people were just overwhelmed. And when he finished quoting the Lord's Prayer, they just stood and cheered and cried. Boy, they'd never seen anything like this. It was wonderful. And they were seated, and they went on with their worship service, and, and they took the offering, had the Lord's Supper, and had a time of singing and praise. When they got through, the presiding pastor asked everyone to stand and said, you know, many times uh, we've heard uh, Uncle Billy Johnson praise here. Uncle Billy, would you come up and just lead us in our benediction? And, and, and Uncle Billy, you might just pray for us. We'll listen to you and just pray for us, the Lord's Prayer. And Uncle Billy Residently, slowly walked up front and he prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, hallowed, hallowed be thy name. And he prayed the whole prayer. When he was finished, Everybody was weeping, and they left the place of worship. 
One guy there who was a pagan, kind of crass, and he'd have been invited by one of his buddies to come and see this famous actor. And when he walked out, he walked out, his buddy got out to his car. He said, I don't get it. He said, I, I missed it. He said, there he quoted the Lord's Prayer magnificently, and everybody responded with cheers and applause. Then this old guy gets up, and he says the same words, and everybody weeps. Well, what, what's the difference? I don't get it. And the Christian man said to his friend, you see, the actor knew the words, and as he quoted the words, it was magnificent. He said, Uncle Jimmy, he knew the Father, and as he prayed the words, it was humbling. Can you pray? Our Father, our Abba, if you can, heavens in the middle of your life. Now, before we close today's program, Dr. Young is here again to share more proven truth about what it means to know God as your Father. Dr. Young, how would you encourage Christians who struggle to view God as their father because of the wounds they receive from their earthly father? That's a tough, tough question. Uh, we're taught in the Bible by Jesus to pray, Abba, Daddy, Father. And that is tough for some of us who did not have a real, personal, close, loving relationship with our father, our earthly father. From the time I was born until I was an early teenager— I had a good relationship with my dad. He played with me. I felt close to him. But somewhere in those teenage years when I needed to be disciplined, he was not there, or he disciplined, in my opinion, much too severely. So our relationship was not broken, but it wasn't strong. It wasn't intimate. My mother stepped in that gap with her strong discipline. Uh, I knew my dad loved me. I knew my mother loved me. But I don't know if I ever please them, even with my call and so many things in my life. But I had to look to an earthly father. And so my, my stamp of approval, I look up, Abba, Father, praying that somehow, some way, though he never communicated to me that I knew of in my maturing years that I love you and I'm proud of you. This says to all of us as earthly fathers that's the audience that our children is playing to. They're playing to you and me. Let us be sensitive to them, even in their adulthood, and all the way through, let them know that they're loved, they're appreciated, and you're on their team no matter what. When parents miss that role, you've missed something very vital. Some children, I'd be a part of that, did not get that as much as we felt, I felt, that I needed it. But thank goodness my Abba Father, our Heavenly Father, just keeps on pouring in that love, that grace, that forgiveness, and that assurance, and that affirmation that every human being needs. God will meet those needs. He'll fill in those gaps. The Bible says, He'll restore the years the locust hath eaten, 
What a miracle. Abba Father, that's what he does. All right, thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.